Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Hello, welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I'm a board member of Calwa and a senior vice president of Butler America Telecom. This is our fourth episode. Before we get into the show, I want to thank our many listeners for the positive feedback we have received. Our hope is that as we creep out of the COVID-19 pandemic, folks will listen to episodes while they head out to uh, construction sites, uh, driving to jurisdictions, uh, while they're, you know, permitting submittals and uh, commuting back to the office, which I know many of you are not excited about. So our topic today is the women of wireless. Coincidentally, May is Women's Health Month. So in co- coincidental honor of that, I am pleased to announce that our guest is Amanda Cahill, the president of the Women's Wireless Leadership Forum, or WWLF. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much, John. I am extremely excited to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation and uh, everything that's going to happen over the next uh, over over the course of us chatting here today. Cool, me too. All right. Well, yeah. So, thank you for being here. And before we get into WWLF, let me run down some of your bona fides. Aside from being the WWLF president for, I think it's 2122, is that correct? Correct, yes. Okay. Um, Your day job, and probably sometimes your night job, is that of National Director of Business Development for SQUAN. Let's talk about SQUAN for a minute. Note, people, SQUAN is in all capitals every time I look at it on any of their uh, media. So... Tell our listeners about SQUAN and your role there. Absolutely. And I love that you highlighted that it is in all caps. It's one of our big sticking points. So it's just really comical to me that you said that. So a little bit about what SQUAN does for those of you who have never heard of us. We are headquartered in New Jersey, but we are a leading service provider of design build infrastructure, both for wireline and wireless network operators, developers, other related organizations. And we essentially provide telecom infrastructure solutions across a few key areas. And those areas include fiber engineering, wireless DAS and power utility, which also includes underground high voltage cable and storm repair, storm storm, uh, response. So a a lot that goes on here at Squan. And as you mentioned, I do serve as the National Director of Business Development. I'm actually based in Dallas, Texas. And what I do in my role in leading business development is I help with those initiatives across all five divisions of our company. So I'm constantly working with our divisional leaders, our divisional presence on proposal delivery, in execution of those proposals, as well as um, pursuing new and existing client relationships, anything that you would typically think that involves around a business development role. But what's unique and what I love the most about my role at Squan is that I get to have my hand in a few other things outside of business development is um, 
I do a lot of our marketing initiatives. I help with our PR activities, basically anything that helps to showcase Squan's service offerings throughout our industry, Um, especially since a lot of people don't know our name. I always joke around and say that we're kind of like the silent player behind the scenes. People really don't get that much exposure to us because a lot of times we're working direct with those network operators and the developers. So we're not in the typical scenes where everybody else is, although we're all doing the same work, right? We're all helping to build telecom infrastructure. Excellent. And I think uh, it should be noted uh, that it sounds like Squan um, is like our company in the sense that we both do uh, wireless and wireline. Um, Let me ask you just quickly, because I'm so interested because it's similar to my company too. Um, Do you have, the same problem we have sometimes where the wireline side and the wireless side are kind of in silos or have you guys successfully um, broken down some of those walls and and figured out how to have all these services um, interrelate to each other? So I think the answer to your question is, is yes. (laughs) So it's on two fronts, right? It's like, yes, that we do see the siloing does happen. And that I think has come a lot from the way Squan developed as a company. So we actually started as a general contractor. And since then we have, instead of growing organically, we have an acquisition model where we see, okay, who's out there, who's doing it really well that we can acquire into our company. And so that's how we've added in these different divisions. So in doing so, we grew really, really quickly, really fast, right? And trying to mold those two divisions together and how they play well together it's, it's an ever going, ever evolving process, especially because we're actively still bringing on new talent, bringing on different divisions, like the power utility side of our house that I just mentioned, we just acquired them in November of last year. Fantastic. I bet you, you and I could have a lot of offline conversations about how to create the, the best full service telecom company. So we'll do that another time. We're here to talk about women of wireless and you are a very busy woman. Aside from the the the, the role you have at Squan and and your your the presidency at um, WWLF, you you uh, are very accomplished. You're highly educated. You have an MBA from the University of Central Florida, but you're also in your other spare time, I guess, the co-founder of the Bold Women's Society. But we'll get into that towards the end of this interview. So let's talk about the Women's Wireless Leadership Forum. So tell me a bit about its genesis, a little bit about its history and its mission. Yeah, absolutely. And I love this. I obviously love talking about WWLF. I have an extreme passion for it. Obviously, I'm the president of the organization. And for those of you who aren't familiar with WWLF, our tagline is keeping women connected. And for those of you who are in in the audience, you might not be familiar with us past even just hearing our name. What we actually do is we're a volunteer association for professional women in the wireless communications industry, right? And through the events that we host, our members share their expertise, they brought in their contacts and their network and they advance their careers. And what we really like to do at WWLF is celebrate the experience of the many successful women who have come into our industry, who are still in the industry, who are thriving and who want to mentor those who are just getting in. And our mission is just to create a network of women committed to supporting leadership, education, 
national networking experiences, as I mentioned, and just finding ways to strengthen those bonds and communication between women and men in our industry by sharing knowledge and expertise. And a lot of people here you know, Women's Wireless Leadership Forum and think that it's just for women. We actually have a lot of men who are members in our organization, and I think it's a great dynamic. It's bringing everybody in our industry together towards this common goal of keeping women connected and helping to educate them and broaden their leadership capabilities, their expertise. And it's just, it's been a truly phenomenal organization to be a part of. I'm truly blessed to work with the women that I get to in this organization and just honestly, everybody who's in the community. Excellent. Well, you sound like a, a super advocate. Um, and so much so you decided to make a run for the presidency of, of the organization. So, you know, what compelled you to, to take it to that next level of leadership in that organization? And what do you intend to do to make your mark on your, your, your years as, uh, as president? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question, John. And so just a little history about me. Involvement in women's empowerment and leadership groups has always been something that's been important to me. I became a member of WWLF in 2014, started volunteering, and within that same year, they saw that I kind of had this passion for um, helping to empower women and keep women connected. So they tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we need a little bit of, shell of help facilitating our membership initiatives. And in doing so, I got asked to serve as the co-director of membership, and I ended up holding that position through the end of 2015. So, you know, came into this organization not even knowing what it was going to lead to, what was going to happen. And right off the gate, you know, they were like, here, we would we would really like you to help with this. And I did. Um, and in 2016, I was, I was asked to serve as the executive director of Ways and Means, which is just a fancy way of saying I helped oversee our sponsorships and our sponsorship drives. And I held that position, I think it was, what, six, uh, five or six years until I uh, was elected to president in January of this year. And honestly, you know, my involvement as the executive director of Ways and Means really helped position me to step into this role as president. Um, I had some big shoes to fill. Carolyn Hardwick, who is one of my mentors in the industry, was the outgoing president, and I'm very fortunate to still have her in my circle. She actually works with me at Squan. She is the, the president of engineering. And, you know, in a nutshell, my entire experience with WWLF has shaped the woman that I am today, who you see, who you hear. Um, I'm a completely different person than I was when I first joined this organization. And the community of women in WWLF really helped me build my confidence, gave me the opportunity to shine in areas that were outside of my comfort zone. I was scared a lot. I was uncomfortable a lot. And that was my first real experience witnessing the power of mentorship and how surrounding yourself with people who thrive on collaboration can truly change the course of someone's life. And, you know, that life being mine, my life was completely changed by witnessing that. And I knew that by stepping into the role as president, I would be able to lean on and further expand my commitment to create an environment where all women feel empowered, where all women feel supported and are given opportunities for growth, leadership, mentorship, you know, all the things that I had received. And I mean, at the end of the day, I just wanted to give back to the community that gave so much to me in my career, in my personal development. And I wanted to leave a mark to help shape the future of other women who were in this industry whether they've been in the industry for a long time or whether they're just starting out. I wanted to make them feel like 
this is a place they belong. This is where they can grow. Wow, that's fantastic. You can hear the passion in your voice. I love it. So um, I neglected to ask you a question earlier, which I, I, ask, I try to ask all my guests and some of the people that listen and certainly people that know me know I'm a big DC comic book freak. You can see my little Batman statue back here in the, <laughs> in the corner. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, and why I bring that up is, you know, my guests are the heroes or the superheroes of wireless. You're a superhero of wireless. So in the vein of, uh, you know, superheroes, what's your origin story? What's your, how did you get into wireless? Like nobody says like, hey mom, I want to be like in wireless when I grew up. We all have this weird, like weird sort of and unique uh, story of like how we got into wireless. So how did you get into this field? Absolutely. And it's so true. It's so funny that you just said that because I always tell people, you know, I just kind of fell into the wireless industry. It's not like I woke up one day and just decided I wanted to, to be a part of communications and infrastructure, right? right. Um, so it was actually 2012. I was work working for a market research and consulting firm still based here in Dallas. And I just knew to the very core of who I was that that was not something that I wanted to pursue long term. It was honestly, it was a job where I felt as though every day my life was slowly slipping away. <laughs> and I'm sure that many listeners can relate, have been there before. And it, you know, it's, it's comical when I think about it now. But at the time, um, I actually had a headhunter in my network who I had reached out to, said I was looking to make a change, had several conversations, and finally had an opportunity come to the front, the forefront, and it was a marketing and sales role in the wireless industry. And the most interesting part, John, is that leading up to my interview, one of the pep talks from the headhunter was, was that he said, you know what, Amanda, if you get offended easily, or if you don't have thick skin, this probably isn't the industry for you. But if you can handle it, you'll thrive. And obviously I went for the interview, I got the job and you know, the, I've been in telecommunication ever since. It's been such a fun ride. And looking back in that pivotal moment in my life, I can't even imagine being in any other industry. Well, you know, that advice you got from, from that individual, probably is advice a lot of women got in a lot of fields for the, over the last few generations. You know, women have to do more. They gotta, they gotta sometimes bite their tongue and grit their teeth and deal with it, unfortunately, but that's fantastic. And um, well, good. So, you know, my, I used to own core development services, which was bought by Butler a couple years ago. And we were kind of known for always hiring strong women. In fact, my first employee is still with me, Amy Sinan. Little shout out to Amy for not only being with me so long, but putting up with me for so long. Um, you know, but over that time, and I've been involved in wireless since 99, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a more of a 2G guy, you know, uh, not a 5G. I came in the, the digital uh, immersion. But, you know, I've noticed that women have over the years increased, increasingly get higher roles at the at the big organizations. But I, I still don't see them typically at the very top or in the COO slots and things like that. So what is your take on the progress of women and, and, and whether or not, you know, women are advancing fast enough in what could be argued as a, as a man's or an old boy's industry telecom? 
Well, I love that you say it's rumored to be because it actually is. And I love, I love, I love the power of this question and the dynamic of what it holds for the future of our industry. You know, and it's it's not hard to find research that supports how diversity can create better team dynamics, how it can increase innovation, how it can enhance performance. And even though research shows all of these benefits for creating a gender diverse workforce, the wireless industry is still male dominated, as I mentioned, you know, not new to anybody um, who's, who's listening, anybody in the audience. And women, as you mentioned, often have to prove themselves to a greater extent in order to succeed. But what I have seen is in my tenure in this industry is that if women are given the opportunity to take on a higher leadership role, they do often thrive. And in doing so, that allows senior management to trust that women can do the job and they can thrive in the job. And in turn, when they do, this helps pave the way for other women to follow suit. And, and to expand on that, I've definitely seen a rise of women in leadership on two fronts since I've been in the industry. Um, the first one is just an actual placement in higher level positions. As I've, as I've mentioned, I've seen it slowly starting to happen more and more. But what I think is interesting is as this has started to happen, women have started to help each other grow and move up the ranks. It's that concept that once you've, once you've risen, once you've gotten into a management position or you're in a leadership position, that you turn around and reach your hand down and bring somebody else up with you. Help another woman find her voice, help another woman find her place in her career, basically just helping her to up-level everything that she is, who she is as a person, right? If that's what she's seeking. But it's such a beautiful thing to witness and the industry is taking notice. It's slow. But I mean, that's how that's how progress happens, right? It's not going to happen overnight. There is a little shift, but I am I am truly really excited to see how this will continue to shape the the future of of women leadership in our industry. You know, and when I was talking about our membership base earlier, and I mentioned that we do have several men who are a part of our community, who are members in WWLF, people think that our mentor mentorship program is just for women. We absolutely would love to have a high level leadership, um, you know, male come in and be a mentor or even be a mentee. You know, I mean, we want to break down those barriers. If we're talking about inclusion, inclusion needs to be inclusion around the board. I so it's an, it's an interesting concept, right? But I mean, that's how change happens and we're slowly starting to see it. And um, it's, it's exciting to just see, like I said, how that how that's gonna shape the future of our industry. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big advocate. I got four daughters. I got. A, I have a sister. I have a mother. <laughs> and, you know, women uh, might be really uh, uniquely suited for wireless. Wireless changes so fast. And women are hard. It's hardwired into women that they got to juggle motherhood, being a, a spouse, they, a, a career. And anyway, I, I won't go on and about my about my, uh, about my respect for women uh, right now, but I, but but it's I think there's a lot of evidence that kind of shows that that women are really adjust they can adjust quickly to situations. Uh, I'm not saying men can't, but at any rate, so back to WWF, uh, you know, you, it's it's largely a networking and education sort of uh, place for for women in wireless, um, but COVID was such a downer when it came to groups that were centered on networking and education. So how did you guys cope through that? 
Well, I mean, just like we saw with many organizations during the COVID-19 pandemic and the shutdown, we had to find a way to pivot to keep that commitment to our members and our community to keep women connected. And luckily for us, you know, while we were limited with social distancing and all of that, we were just able to provide more virtual networking, more virtual learning opportunities to our entire membership base, as well as people who weren't even in our membership base. So that was something that we highlighted last year that was like, we're going to host these events. If you're a member or not, please attend, like, please feel that you can still get your education um, and these learning opportunities. Please feel that you can still get these networking opportunities, even if you're not getting together in person. And what we've seen is that the need for connection and in these learning opportunities is still front of mind now more than ever. And we've been able to host an even larger array of virtual events to help foster this overall commitment of ours. And we've seen the need for virtual events continuing even after everything clears up, after um, everything opens back up and, and in-person events are happening all the time. And we plan to still host these virtual learning and networking events to help accommodate the members that cannot travel, members that cannot attend a local in-person event due to either you know, time restraints, company policies, travel restrictions. And I'll tell you, John, something that was very interesting that we got feedback from our membership base was just, thank you. Thank you for making this adjustment in these virtual events and keeping your commitment to still honoring them once we get back to in-person. And this is coming from people who normally don't get to travel. Like me being in a sales role, I just know it, I can go to any industry event that I want to. You know, there's the same people who are traveling to the same industry events. We're all in the same circuit, right? But you think about the people who were in the back office, the people who help the business function day in and day out, who want to be a part of in-person events. They want to know the other people in the industry. Um, and this is giving them an opportunity. You know, somebody, maybe like an HR specialist or a project coordinator um, or somebody who doesn't get out, isn't able to go to these events and now they're able to attend. They're able to meet people. It has been so fascinating. Just the feedback, like I said, you know, we have women who are in LA who are connecting with women in Miami or in Chicago or in New York, you know, and they've never met each other before because they haven't been able to travel to events. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely something that's staying on, on, on front of, you know, the front of mind for WWLF virtual events are not going away. And we are actually working right now to create a specific page for our members when they log into the website where all of our virtual events are going to be recorded and housed. So even if they can't attend them live, they're able to go back and watch them. So they still feel like they're getting that value from the membership. No, that's great. And it doesn't have to be either or. Now that we've learned so much about virtual meetings and virtual conferences, just because we're coming out of the pandemic doesn't mean we have to go strictly back to in person. It sounds like you guys are developing a, a hybrid model where you get the best of both worlds, perhaps in future events. So that's, that's great. And speaking of future events, I checked out your website and it looks like the first in-person event is coming up on June 24th in Dallas. Your your neck of the woods. Is that a coincidence? Okay. Just it actually <laughs> is not. It actually is not. I was actually very surprised and thrilled that it was going to be right here in my backyard. It's a it's an event at Top Golf, and that sounds super fun. And um, I've been to the couple in Vegas and in Arizona, and that's always a that's a great time. Maybe I'll try to try to figure out how to get out there. Which which begs the question: Can I mean you mentioned that men are involved, but how how is it how 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 does one become a member? 
of WWLF? Oh, it's super easy. You just go to our website at WWLF.org, go to the membership tab and apply to be a member. Um, and a lot of companies even will sponsor the memberships because there is a fee to become a member. But once you do, once we start having in-person events again, you get into those for free. Oh. And there's also specific, like I mentioned, you know, last year with the virtual events, we did open it up to, you know, the broader community, people who were outside of the paid membership. But there's a lot of benefits and events that are only for our membership base. Got it. Well, if I want to go to this Top Golf, golf event, I better get on board real, real quick here. So, and I, I'm actually thinking about it. I mean, it would be really fun. Um, so, let me ask you this. And, and, uh, so we're getting kind of close on time. I told you we'd go fast. And uh, so sure, we could probably talk for another half hour about WWLF. Um, but, you know, I want to you know, kind of close with sort of a tangential effort of yours also involving women. Uh, you're a co-founder of, I think it's recently launched, uh, Bold Women's Society. Um, tell me about the Bold Women's Society, as if you didn't have enough to do. <laughs> I... I I love that you mentioned this. It was a little unexpected. You know, Bold Women's Society is so dear to my heart and at the, the very core of who I am as, as a person, as a leader, as a woman. And the, the mission that we have is to inspire confidence in women through our community and platform to help them go after whatever goals or dreams that they might have to help them release any narratives, beliefs, barriers, anything that is limiting them in the pursuit of the life they want to create. So we're basically giving women permission to write and rewrite their own story of success because that changes, right? As, as somebody grows, as somebody develops, as they move up their career, whatever that vision of success is for them is going to change. And so our ultimate goal, our ultimate vision with Bold Women's Society is a world where every woman unapologetically pursues her dreams because she has the confidence to be bold, the courage to be authentic, and basically just the power that comes from being supported. Something that is so dear to me is the community aspect. And that's why WWLF has been so powerful for me and my career. And it's something that I wanted to carry over with Bold Women's Society. And in creating it with my co-founder, Katie Langford, who is also based here in Dallas, we both had this as a calling on our heart. And we wanted to do more to impact more women outside of Dallas, outside of our respective industries, outside of our respective career, um, to help lead this legacy, to build this lasting community where women will just continue to impact each other, even after we're gone. <laughs> Strange thought to think about, right? But even after we're gone, it was just something that we wanted to 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 build and implement. That's uh, super. That's super great. I I really respect uh, people who give back, and uh, servant leadership. Um, it it it's. I, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, and so, um, wow, we're, we're, we are pretty much out of time. Um, thanks so much, Amanda. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm semi-serious, but I'm actually kind of serious about maybe going to this top golf game. I have to think about it a little bit, but because I haven't got, I gotten on a plane in about a year and a half. So, but um, I would love to meet you in person. So if you do make it out, definitely let me know. Your ticket is on me. Oh, no, no. Thank you. And, but likewise, I mean, I'd love to, love to meet you. Um, in fact, Kawa uh, is actually holding a couple events. We're having our first uh, in-person mixer 
in Newport Beach at Javier's uh, in July, a date to be coming soon. Uh, that's a, a typical Kawa mixer haunt in uh, Newport Beach. And then in uh, October, we're having our annual uh, golf tournament. And so uh, maybe I can coax you to come out to California when Texas is really kind of sticky in July and kind of get the cool breeze of Newport Beach. (laughs) You won't have to twist my arm that much because I pretty much attend every Calwa event that I can. I have for the past five or six years. They're my favorite events. I love California. I was actually in California all last week. So um, I think I could definitely make something work there. Okay, right on. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening to episode four of the California Wireless Association podcast. And again, my name is John Coos and I just want everyone to be safe out there. And I hope you keep listening. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.